This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. In a recent report, Gallup says managers are more likely than non-managers to be disengaged at work, burned out, looking for a new job, and even feeling like their organization doesn't give a hoot about their well-being. Well, now there's a short list of changes that could make a big difference for managers and those they're supposed to lead. Everyone likes short to-do lists, and business author, speaker, coach, and entrepreneur Charlie Gilkey has come up with one that's short in words, but could be huge when it comes to how organizations work better. He joins us in Biz News interviews with some of his ideas. Everyone likes a short list of to-do things, and you've got one that could improve how organizations work. Tell us about your three types of team habits. So there are three types of team habits that every organization can improve. And I want to start by focusing on changing the habits of people versus trying to change people. Because changing people is really, really hard, right? But changing habits, it's difficult, but not nearly as hard as changing people, right? And so I want to start there. And so for almost all teams, the three habits that you can, the three types of habits that you can improve are those around belonging, those around meeting, meetings, and those around decisions. Right. If you get those three right, those three categories of team habits right, your team is going to work better. They're going to like feel better working together, and they're going to get more done. Any achieving uh, success with any one of those three can be difficult. What do you tell your clients? Um, so start where the pain is the greatest. Um, meetings are often the whipping boy of business, right? Because most of them are. <laughs> not well-designed, not, you know, you don't know why you're there. You spend 20 minutes figuring out why you're even having the meeting. And so if someone's just wanting to start somewhere, I'll automatically go to meetings because meetings are where all the other team habits are on full display. So if your communication team habits are bad, you'll see them in meetings. If your collaboration habits are bad, you'll see them in meetings. If your decision-making bad habits are, you'll see them, which makes it this micro crucible. So a few Hyper quick tips here, right? So one, no meeting, excuse me, no agenda, no meeting. Pretty simple. No agenda, no meeting. That avoids that 15, 20 minutes of figuring out why we're there. And it also tells people and gives them the autonomy to opt out of a meeting because they see they don't need to be there. Um, Second easy tip, leave five minutes or so at the end of a meeting to capture next actions and commitments from that meeting. Now, I want to pause here real quick, Douglas, because most of the tips I'll be sharing today are not conceptually hard to understand. And most people are kind of like, yeah, I kind of know we need to do that. They're not rocket science. They're rocket practice. The difficulty is in practicing them consistently and holding each other accountable. And while I'm on that, Douglas, when I say team, I mean something pretty specific. I mean, the four to eight people that you spend 80% of your time working with day in and day out, not your organization, not your department, your team. And in your team, you have a lot of rapport, influence, co-agency, and actually, you know, I get in trouble for this, but you actually have some versions of love for those teammates. You actually typically like them, right? And so, so many of the tips today, I'm like, well, Corporation will never let us do that. Or can we get the big boss to apply on it? It's like, you don't need that. It's me. Let's, let's pretend you and Douglas and I are on a team here. 
I could go, hey, Douglas, you don't like the meeting. I don't like the meeting. Let's change it. It's just between us. Why does this have to be more difficult than that? So throughout today's conversation, when I give tips like that, and the first thing people are like, that's not hard. I'm like, well, if it's not hard, why aren't you doing it? And two, when they're like, well, there's a bunch of things we got to do. I'm like, nope, you can talk to Douglas. Pretty good ideas there, right? Right, right along uh, with a couple of things they need to ask you about. Because in a recent report, Gallup found that managers are more likely than non-managers to be discouraged at work, disengaged, burned out, even looking for a new job, and even feeling that their organization, whatever it might be, doesn't give a hoot about their well-being. How do you, what do you advise in those cases to somehow get the managers off the edge of the window? Um, to explain that, I'm going to need to unpack something real quick, right? Because it's really what's going on. There are three dimensions of power that happen at work. So at root, Team Habits is a book about power. Um, but I knew not to write the book about power. And you might want to ask me some questions about that. But three dimensions of power. There's there's personal power. That's what I, Charlie, can do with my own skills, expertise, perspectives, and so on. That's the one dimension we talk about. And the other dimension we talk about is institutional power. That's power over. This is personal. Power over is institutional. And that's what I can do um, you know, because of my position, because of the power that I have in the organization. We forget this middle dimension of power, of interpersonal power. That's the power with. That's what Douglas and Charlie can do together that neither Douglas or Charlie can do alone. But we also don't need institutional power to do that. So one reason that managers are so burned out and overwhelmed is because the dimensions that they consider are either personal power, so just getting people to do a thing, right, and hoping they do the thing, or the institutional power, lording power over them and having to force people, which means so many decisions, responsibilities, so much effort lies with the managers, when instead, we can look at our teams, and again, that very specific way I mean team, and say, hey, I don't have to decide this. This is not necessarily my job to, to be the chief decider for all the things. Like, Douglas, this is your job. This is a decision you can make without telling me. So let's get out of the conversation, right? Or this is a decision you can make. So there are three levels of decision that I'm walking through real quick, Douglas. So three levels. One level, the decisions you can uh, make or the actions you can take on your own and not tell anyone. Just get it done, right? Level two decisions are decisions you can make or actions you can take, but you need to tell someone. And level three decisions are those decisions or actions you can't take, but you need to go to someone who's the decision maker with a recommendation. And in an ideal world, about 80% of our time would be in level one decisions. It's just your job. We don't need the noise. We don't need the updates. We don't need the meetings. We don't need all of that. Just get it done. About 15% would be those level twos, like you made a decision and your team needs to know for different reasons that are fairly specified. And level three decisions are about 5% of just those things that you really can't make. So in most teams, an individual contributor can't go out and hire someone. That's a level three decision for the manager and, and things like that. But they might be able to go get a proposal from someone, from an independent contractor and work that out and then take that to the decision maker to do. So the reason managers are such on the edge 
is everything feels like it's become a level three decision. Like only they can make the decision and they haven't worked through because of, you know, job losses and the, you know, everything we've been going through with the pandemic to really walk through with their team and say, these are your level ones. Let's stop talking about them. I don't need an update. I trust you. A lot of this is trust. Here are your level two decisions. I trust your decisions, but I need to know about them. And then level three is, it's not that I don't trust your decisions. It's just that these have larger ramifications that you may not know about. They're like the hot stove items that if you touch it, you're probably going to get burned. So let me know that you're approaching the, the oven and I'll help you out with that piece. So I think as managers do that with their teams and also work with their managers on the same things, will take a lot of the muck and friction and social overhead of work out of the team. And people can actually do the jobs they're getting paid for and get rewarded for the jobs that they're paid for than everybody else seeming to do everybody else's job, but no one's job is actually getting done. You, you can just see that if you implemented that, the turnover rate would drop like a stone. Wow, what a relief that would be. Absolutely. Uh, you are in uh, Portland, Oregon, as we speak, mm -hmm. but you had quite a interesting route getting there. You didn't start there. You went, you started poor and in the deep south. Tell mm -hmm. us about that. And also, I'm curious, how did your experience in the military shape what you're doing today? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I am probably the less, the least likely business author that that you'll you'll have on the show, right? I I didn't know that this was a thing until I was 28, right? I didn't know that people like me could write books like this and have the platform that I have um, for a lot of different reasons because of systemic racism, because of poverty, because of things like that. It just wasn't in the cards. And I sort of stumbled my way into it um, because, you know, I spent a lot of time in the Boy Scouts. I'm an Eagle Scout. So I had a lot of junior leadership environments and large scale training things. And then um, I'm actually a academically, I'm a trained philosopher. So I have a graduate degree in philosophy and, and near PhD in philosophy. But while I was completing or working towards completing my PhD, I was an Army Joint Forces Logistics Coordinator, which is a mouthful. But that made sure that the Army, Air Force, and Navy were all on the same sheet of music with their logistics operations. Um, and I deployed in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom, did some other joint forces training and, and sort of um, leadership on that front. So I've been a team guy for the last 30 years, right? I know I'm younger, but I just have so many reps when it comes to this. And so all of those experiences guide what I write about in Team Habits, because when we're talking about people who feel disenfranchised at work, I know how that feels, right? And I know how important it is to lift up marginalized voices, not just because um, it's trending, but because they have insight about the work that's going to make it better. And also because creating a work environment where people belong is the right thing to do. Um, from the military, you would think that I'm the hierarchical, logical sort of thing, but I actually learned more about dynamic teams and open teams from the army than I have from the civilian workforce, right? And that shocks a lot of people because they think the army is pretty rigid. You have an officer and you have those types of things. But when you really get into operations, you'll realize how much is ad hoc teams and power sharing and expertise sharing and true respect for the different roles that people play that transcend rank. 
So I was a military officer. I exited as a captain. I had company command. And so when people said, sir, to me, that seems like deference and power and things like that. But there's a relate, there's a way in that environment to where I also have mutual responsibilities to the soldiers that are calling me by that ranking designation. I treat them a way that's not less than, but different and important than my actual job. And if we each do our jobs, right, that's what's going on. And so people outside of the military don't understand all of those little pieces that every time, like if I salute someone and they salute me, that's a sign of not just them respecting me, of me respecting them, right? And so, so much of that fra is framed in team habits because I'm like, what if in the civilian workforce, you know, the, I'll use your setting, the producer and, you know, the anchor had that same level of rapport and respect. They knew each other's lanes. They I, they had that and they can be a true partnership. Versus... I, I, I can tell you if that happened, we would look for the earth splitting open. Exactly. Exactly. And so, so much of that guides what's in team habits because it's not theoretical in the sense of these are just good ideas that I came up with. These are 30 years of practice in the field across nonprofit, military, academic, for-profit, small companies, large companies. They're just seeing this so frequently. Like, look, team, let's stop trying to change Douglas. Let's stop trying to change Charlie because it turns out People don't want to be changed by someone else's agenda. Um, so it doesn't work. But when we look at it and say, look, most people want to win. They want to win together and they want to have good relationships with other people. That's our basic human wiring. If we're not working well as a team, it's because something else is in the way. It's not the people and what they want to do. So our job as managers, leaders, and actually as teammates is to look at those points of friction, to look at those, what I call broken printers, to look at those things and say, we don't like that thing or that pattern or that process. Let's change that. Otherwise, it starts to become, I don't like Douglas. Douglas can't get right, <laughs> right? It's not Douglas. It's the broken printer. It's the way we work together that's creating this friction, not the interpersonal friction. Charlie, tell us about your new book. So my new book is Team Habits, and it focuses on increasing your performance, morale, and belonging in your team. Again, not by trying to change people, but by trying to change our team habits. We know the power of personal habits. There are plenty of books about that. Like my friend and colleague, James Clear, has Atomic Habits. Like We know a lot about habit science for individuals. But we don't, I think, apply those same principles to our team. And that's the big miss. That's what I wanted to call out is it's the same stuff in a slightly different context. And the chief difference is that any team action is a social action on top of anything else. It's a negotiation. It's a commitment. It's a compromise with someone else. So it can be harder to change team habits than your personal habits because you've got to enroll other people and you're changing other people's behaviors too. And so, so much of the book talks about not just how you force this change on someone else, but how Douglas and Charlie, and again, I keep making it personal, how Douglas and Charlie become co-agents of how they work together to get the job done 
And we can both agree because we both want the same thing fundamentally. We want the same outcome. We trust each other. Why do we need the CEO to weigh in on anything when it comes to what we can do as a team? We don't need him involved in our team meeting structure or our collaboration or the way we make decisions that are in the purview of our team or how we set goals that are within the purview of our team. Stop that. But also stop. This is where as much as I like the book, um, It's the Manager, I think the message is still problematic because to your point earlier, it places so much pressure on the manager to be the vector of team change that you end up with the burnout. You end up with the very things that you get as opposed to allowing and creating space for the team to change itself. And when you do that, people want to show up to work. People want that autonomy. They want to feel respected. They want to win together. And so many of the questions and problems that you have in traditional management change. I won't say they go away. They change. But they're much better problems to solve. I would rather my clients and the people that hear me on a show have the problem of people exercising their autonomy and learning and growing and pushing the edges than have the problem of people not taking initiative and just being told what to do and being bottlenecked by the entire organization. This one over here where they have initiative and they're running with things and they have ideas is a far better problem to have than the one where you basically have recreated management structures of the 80s where people were cogs and we just told them what to do and they did it. Somebody once said, well, that's why they call it work. <laughs> Charlie, where can people get more information uh, about you? A website, perhaps? Um, I appreciate that. So if you're interested in the Team Habits conversation, go to betterteamhabits.com and you'll learn more about the book and the resources that we have available to help you co-create a better environment that gets things done and makes people want to show up um, to work. Um, I have a broader body of work that's at ProductiveFlourishing.com that handles personal productivity, personal development, and things like that. And those mate very, very well. But if you're really team-focused, go to BetterTeamHabits.com, and I think you'll be well-served. Now, in the time we have left, what would you like to say that we haven't had a chance to talk about? Um, honestly, one of my chief goals with Team Habits is for us to remember the humanity of the people that we work with and to increase our skills of empathy. You know, the, I think more people need to give a damn at work, right? I don't think they need to be checking out. I don't need, they need to follow the advice of books that are actually going that way because fundamentally work is about relationships. And just like your personal relationships, it always pays off for you to invest in those relationships with those people you love, you you know these people, you know their favorite songs, your kids might carpool together, you've been stuck in the same office for three years. Take better care of each other. And when work isn't working, keep it about the work and not about the people. been listening to the business podcast we welcome your input send your email to editor at biznews.com that's b-i-z-g-n-u-s.com thanks for listening